Hello and welcome back to Franklin Covey's On Leadership podcast series with Scott Miller. That's me. I am still privileged holding on for dear life as the host of this podcast now, gosh, six years running our 309th episode, where each week we try to turn our spotlight onto some of the most thoughtful and inspiring leadership luminaries around the world. If there's any lesson that our co-founder, Dr. Stephen R. Covey, has instilled in the Franklin Covey organization, it's the concept of having an abundance mentality. Franklin Covey, we think, is the most trusted leadership firm in the world, and we're experts at some very specific areas, but we aren't experts in everything, which is why we love to take the spotlight, the literal platform of this podcast, and shine it on people around the world. It might be someone that is a business titan or a CEO or in the C-suite. It might be a famous researcher or a not-so-famous person that experienced a leadership struggle and has come out of it with great insights and practical applications. And so each week we take great privilege in being able to spotlight both authors and leaders around the world, as well as some of our own inside of Franklin Covey. So four or five times a year out of 100 plus episodes, we turn the spotlight onto one of our own. And today, I believe it's his third or fourth appearance in six years, we have the privilege of having a repeat guest. He was in fact our very first guest. Now that took some courage, because if you look at the first four or five episodes, okay, the first 45 episodes of this podcast, it was a little rough. I was still learning to catch my groove. But in the, in the, in the, in the spirit of extending trust, Stephen M. R. Covey, who you know, of course, as the author of the seminal books, The Speed of Trust and Trust and Inspire, did just that. He extended trust to us and the production team and and his episode, which was the first episode, is by degrees of magnitude, the most watched and most listened to our series. And he is back today for the 309th episode to talk a little bit about some of the newest insights he's encountered, having toured, I don't know how many dozens of countries around the world, millions of books sold in his Speed of Trust and Trust and Inspire series. And so today, we're going to take a deeper dive on what it means to be personally trustworthy. How do you build a high trust culture on the eve of Franklin Covey's relaunch of its new work session, The Speed of Trust? Stephen M.R. Covey, welcome back to On Leadership. Hey, thanks so much, Scott. So here I am from 1st to 309th. <laughs> and a I think I had two in between. I and, think and so. And I'm really excited and honored to, to be back with you and On Leadership uh, podcast and looking forward to our conversation today. Stephen, we're going to take a lot of time talking about this concept of becoming a trustworthy person, building a high trust culture. I want to uh, remind our listeners and viewers of a very funny story. So you were one of the leaders that um, showed extraordinarily low judgment and invited me to join the firm 29 years ago. I moved from Florida to Provo, Utah, the only Catholic in history to have done that. And I remember once when I was first employed in the organization, you were the CEO of the Covey Leadership Center, which was your father's uh, renowned leadership company that eventually became uh, the Franklin Covey Company with the merger of the Franklin Quest Company, gosh, nearly 30 years ago. But I was sitting in my cubicle as like the lowest guy on the totem pole, right? There was the receptionist and Scott 
and, the, and the, the, the cleaning gentleman, and all of us were equally as excited about working there, but we were all on the same totem pole. And all of a sudden, my cubicle, my phone rings, and across it is the digital letters, Stephen M. R. Covey. And I thought, what is he calling me for? And I took a step back, and it rang like six times. I didn't take your call. You were the CEO of the company calling me to like welcome in and inviting me to some project. I was so taken aback by the fact that you would be calling me. I did not take your call. So 29 <laughs> years later, I continue to apologize for um, stiffing you, strong-arming strong <laughs> you, whatever it's called, uh, stiff-arming you on that call. Okay water over the dam, but I feel like I had to confess it every time I talk to you once a year or so, because I'm still horrified <laughs> at that. Um, welcome back. I love it, but, but Scott, you need to know that I, I, I take great pride in hiring you and having the foresight and the vision to see the talent and the greatness that was inside of you. So, so rather than poor judgment, it was a, a, a keen sense of judgment of what was in you. I that's, could see it. That's overly generous. I appreciate that. Okay, first things first. How is your son doing in the NFL? Remind our millions of listeners and viewers of all of your children that have gone on to do amazing things in life. One in particular has some pretty good uh, expertise in a sport. Reintroduce your son to everybody. Yeah, great. Well, I appreciate you bringing up all my kids because I'm proud of each of them. And and uh, my son, Britton, is, uh, he's the fourth of... Are, are my five kids, and and uh, he actually is a punt returner and a slot receiver for the Philadelphia Eagles. He's in his second year. You know, he was an undrafted free agent. You know, made the team last year and made it again this year. It's a tough, it's a tough gig because there's so many good players, and you know, when you're kind of on the bubble, you're always uh, you feel vulnerable all the time. That it's pretty precarious that someone else could just come in and take your place, but. Um, he's doing well. He, he, you know, he mostly just plays at punt returner, and, and sometimes you get some shots some games, and other games you don't. But he's had some good returns, and he's one of the, the better punt returners in the league in terms of yards and average. And uh, it's exciting to watch him play, and, and he's enjoying the ride and just recognizing that he's living the dream, and he's going to enjoy it as long as he can. So mm -hmm. it's, it's been a lot of fun. I, last year, Scott, I went to 15 pro football games <laughs> and you know i've been to three or four in my life i went to 15 last year i've been to a few this year i'll go to several more and so it's been a lot of fun for all of us that's very exciting and I, it's fun to see all of his siblings cheer him on as well i mean who said the nfl is not for long he made it for two years that's amazing congrats to him okay absolutely well you're just enjoying every, every week you just you appreciate for where you're at and have fun and Hopefully, and not for long, uh, continues for a little bit longer. Exactly. You can see the pride and delight on your face. Okay, let's rewind a little bit. I introduced you, reminded everybody that you were the CEO of your father's private leadership company, where I started my career, the Covey Leadership Center. You, you and others are responsible for shepherding what is your father's incomparable impact on the world for many decades. Your father passed about a decade ago, but of course, his book, The Seven Habits of highly effective people had a profound impact on not just the way that you lead, but the way that you write. When you left the firm and took a sabbatical to write their first big book, The Speed of Trust, this book has now really changed the landscape of how leaders identify themselves as being personally trustworthy, as well as how to create a high trust culture. You went on then to write this next best-selling book called Trust and Inspire. 
Stephen, of all the things I think I've learned from you in our nearly 30-year association is that you remind us that we don't get to determine if we are trustworthy. Everyone thinks they're trustworthy, but in fact, how do people really gauge whether or not they're trustworthy? What are the signs? Who decides if you are trustworthy? Yeah, it's kind of, uh, I like to say there's always true two trust accounts, <laughs> mine and yours. And, and yours is your interpretation of me and, and how I measure up against that. And the principles of being trustworthy really are all about our, our credibility and our behavior. And in Speed of Trust, we go in great depth in that, you know, the four cores of credibility, which kind of is a measure of trustworthiness, the credibility of a person, their character, their competence. It's just a deeper dive into that character and competence construct. But also, are they behaving in ways that build trust with others? So it's not just your credibility, it's also your behavior, which is really the manifestation of the credibility in action. How do you come across? How do you show up? How do people experience you? And again, you can kind of assess yourself and say, hey, I'm credible and I'm behaving in ways that build trust. But there's also the perspective of how do others experience me? How do they see me on those same measures? How, how do I show up to them? So I might feel like I'm doing great, but they might not quite experience me the same way. And so in a sense, there's two trust accounts, mine and yours, or mine and my team's, and, and, um, and, or others, however we might define it. And so trying to kind of um, build trust through that lens of not just saying, hey, I'm trustworthy, but the question is, how do I show up for others? I'll give you one little illustration of this. Um, and the research shows this, that we've done, as we look at our trust quotient surveys, people tend to overestimate how much they think they trust others and give trust to others by about uh, uh, three, you know, three times. I think the data is 277% higher, that they overestimate how trusting they are. So they feel like, hey, I'm trusting. I, I, I trust my people. I trust my team. But when people measure back how they feel trusted by you, it's 277% lower than what you think. So to them, it might, it might show up this way. You think you're trusting, but you're not quite as trusting as you think you are. And so it's just a good illustration. There's always two accounts, mine and yours. And we're trying to find, you know, we're trying to kind of build that trust in a way where they increasingly are aligned. We are self-aware of how we're doing and others are seeing us for who we really are. We'd love them to be beautifully aligned. Steve, let's take that deeper. Let's talk about the link between behaviors and credibility. When, in your experience, and you have, I mean, I, I, watching your travel is dizzying. I mean, I don't know how you get from in the, in, in the safer days, Tel Aviv and London and Munich and New York and back to Europe in the same week, it's, you have paid the price, my sir, my, my friend. Um, let's, let, let's, let's, let's dive into your knowledge. When someone is suffering from low credibility, what generally are the behaviors that they are either exhibiting or aren't exhibiting? Kind of just aggregate across your experience. When someone has low credibility, what's going on in their behavior? Yeah, well, again, it could show up in any one of those four cores of credibility. 
and in some of the behaviors that could follow. So on the character side, it's your integrity, your intent. Those are the cores of credibility on the character side. And how that might show up could be around, for example, it could be, are you really talking truthfully or are you spinning things? twisting things a little bit, maybe leaving some information out or telling people what they want to hear? Are you really being open and transparent? Or are you operating with hidden agendas? So maybe you're kind of open and there's some things you say that are true and open about it, but there's other pieces that is hidden beneath the surface that ultimately people may not see but by because they're hidden by definition, but they often can feel or sense or wonder about, you know, and, and are, you, are you showing loyalty? Meaning, do you speak about people as if they were present? Um, or do you kind of sweet talk people to their face when you're with them and then maybe badmouth them behind their back? So it might show up in a variety of different counterfeit behaviors that in a sense is a reflection of your character that's your integrity and your intent, where you might feel like it's really high, but the way it gets manifest in terms of behavior, how I'm coming across, how people are experiencing me, there might be some gaps in that. And I tend to find the gaps are especially high on the counterfeit side. I could do the same thing on the, on the competence side. So competence is all about um, capabilities and results. Those are the cores of credibility that comprise competence, the capabilities, the results. But, you know, how that shows up in behavior could look differently. You know, do people experiencing me, do they, they experience me as someone who is getting better, constantly improving, trying to recreate myself, reinvent myself to stay relevant in a changing, shifting wor world? Or, or instead, am I kind of coming across as I've arrived, or maybe I'm just kind of bouncing around from Flavor of the month improvement to flavor of the month improvement. How do I show up for them? Um, am I really delivering results? Or am I just more sometimes busy, but not necessarily productive? You know, do I clarify expectations? And do I practice accountability to those expectations? Is again, all part of my competence? Or am I not really being accountable to delivering and performing? And so the real connection between Credibility and behavior at every level is profound. And then the, co the combined character and competence um, behaviors, where you look at both all, all aspects of the character, all aspects of the competence, those four cores combined, you know, things like, do I listen first? Um, and, you know, which my father called seek first to understand, then to be understood. Or do people feel like I'm just um, listening, but I don't really understand? Do I keep commitments or am I over-promising, under-delivering? And I think the big kahuna of all the behaviors, am I extending trust? Am I really trusting people or am I just kind of saying that I trust them, but then I'm kind of demonstrating through my behavior that I don't trust them. I might be kind of hovering over, micromanaging, this type of thing. So really the manifestation of our credibility shows up through our behavior. They're connected and they, you know, as we behave our way, we'll increase our credibility. And we by focusing on the awareness of our credibility, we then learn the kind of behaviors that will help us build the trust. So that combination of credibility and behavior being so tightly connected 
is what's exciting about this uh, new, updated, refreshed, reimagined version of the speed of trust and leading at the speed of trust, working at the speed of trust. It's really bringing those two building blocks of credibility and behavior together at any level. You know, building trust in myself, building trust for me as a leader, building trust in a relationship, building trust on a team, building trust in a culture, building trust with customers, with partners in the marketplace, in a community. At any level, it's always about credibility and behavior. And this kind of gives us a, a path forward of how we can increase trust in any of those contexts by focusing on our credibility and our behavior. That's the idea. Stephen, you mentioned the phrase, the big kahuna. You called it extending trust. Let me push on you for a moment because that's kind of one of those things that you know is much easier said than done. Because in a lot of organizations, there is not a lot of room for error. In a, in a marketplace that is fiercely competitive and cutthroat, there's not much elasticity for mistakes. And I think, I don't know of a leader that doesn't want to extend trust. But the reality is, your individual contributors may not have behaved themselves into the, the competence to actually earn that. They may not have the same judgment or the same knowledge or the same sophistication, the same business acumen. And so there's, it's easy for you to, to you know, pontificate, if you will, the idea of extending trust. But when it comes down to it, most leaders have to calibrate it very tightly, not because they don't want to, but because they don't feel they're able to. I, I can relate to that. I have people that work with me, especially as an entrepreneur, where the relationships I've built with my clients, they're my lifelong legacy. And a more junior employee, although really good willing, has a very different field of experiences than I have. And judgment is different. And competence is different. And so I have to, I choose to, in some cases, micromanage them because I can't afford to have something go south or go wrong because worst case scenario, it ends up in a lost client. Best case scenario, I, I spend several hours having to unwind it or fix it because the per I extended too much trust to the person. It's a broad question. Answer that however you think is helpful. Yeah. Well, I think there's merit to what you're saying, Scott, is, is the reality that to, to, to have trust, yes, we need to be trustworthy, but we also need to be trusting. We really need a combination of both. But you're highlighting that sometimes when you extend that trust to people, you want to make sure that you're doing that in a smart way, that they're trustworthy, that they're ready for the trust being given, that they have both the character but also the competence. And it may be that someone has the character and they're a good person, honest person, but maybe they're lacking in the competence. Maybe they're not current or they're not relevant, or maybe they've had zero experience or practice in a certain area that's really high risk and it's gotta be done well and right. And you're not quite ready to just say, hey, take it on fully because they need a little bit of experience with this and practice with it. So these are all good points that you're bringing up. And, and um, yes, to sustain the trust, we have to be trustworthy. And our people need to be trustworthy in order for us to sustain the extending of trust or else it wouldn't be smart to keep trusting someone that's not trustworthy and not capable and not ready. So I acknowledge that. And I, I call this smart trust, which is trying to add a real nuance to this, that it's not just a one size fits all, go out and trust anyone and everyone regardless. That wouldn't be smart, not in today's world because there's too much risk, too many things can go wrong. Not everyone's ready for that. So let me concede the point and acknowledge 
that people do need to demonstrate trustworthiness to sustain the giving of trust. Having said that, Scott, I really want to highlight, though, that oftentimes what will enable and create that trustworthiness and allow it to come out is the very act of extending the trust, of giving people the opportunity. And again, with good judgment, if, 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 it, if, it's, if the risk is so great that, it, that, that the trust you're giving, if it's not done perfectly well, is going to sink the firm, then it wouldn't be smart to extend that much trust that soon to someone not ready for it. But most of life isn't about that. It's, you, got, you know, it, there's usually opportunities where you can extend some trust and maybe in other cases, some more trust and some more. And as you give it to people, people receive it. They return it. They tend to trust you back, but also they live up to it. They rise to the occasion. They perform better and they, they, they develop, they grow. They, they, they develop new capabilities and new competencies because they're given an opportunity and a chance. And it, it can become a virtuous upward spiral of trusting people and then people living up to that trust being given and developing more capabilities so that they are more trustworthy. And then you can give them an, another round of trust and so forth. So it's good judgment. It's not a one-size-fits-all. And we got to have smart trust. But I do want to say this, that in the equation of, if you, if you look at it this way, trustworthiness times trusting equals trust. I think that more often the greater gap is less in that people aren't trustworthy, although sometimes that can be the case, and more often that we're not trusting enough. The data shows that we think we trust three times more than we do, as I mentioned, and that we need to be able to give that trust to receive it, to get it back to us. And so I do think that leaders need to extend trust to their people. They also need to develop their people. And sometimes the very act of extending trust develops the people. They need to be smart about this, use good judgment. But we've got to extend trust. And look at it this way. If we're not able to trust our people, especially to do certain roles and responsibilities that they've been hired to do, to hire to do, we either have a hiring problem that we're not hiring the right people or a leadership problem that we don't understand leadership, how leadership implies it, the extension of trust. And now maybe, again, there's a development issue, and, and so we got to find the ways to give them those opportunities. But I think we've got to become more trusting as leaders. I think that's the bigger gap. And I'm not naive to it. Your point is valid. But I still maintain that this is the bigger gap in the creation of trust, is that we're not trusting enough as leaders. Now, don't do it blindly. Always have clear expectations with an agreed-upon process of accountability to the trust being given. And that way, you can mentor, you can coach, you can help. If you build the agreement together, you don't need to micromanage because the agreement governs. So build an agreement together with clear expectations, with accountability to those expectations around the trust being given, and then suddenly the agreement governs. There's still control built in. It's made, you know, if it has to be done right, then that's built into the agreement to make sure it's done right. But that looks and feels different than I'm I extend trust to you and then I hover over and micromanage your every move. 
that, that's different than we've built a robust agreement in this situation because the risk is so great. We're going to re report back quite frequently while you're learning how to do this. But that looks and feels different than I'm hovering over you and micromanaging your every move. So that's what I would say. Use smart trust. Apply smart trust. Not a one-size-fits-all. But I think as leaders, we've got to become more trusting and give trust more frequently. Steven, Can I give you a fun example of this one, Scott? Yes, please. And then I'm going to push a little further on you. So buckle okay. in. Okay. Well, here, here's an interesting example. So um, I did some work with a great company, Fractal Analytics. And they're an analytics company, artificial intelligence, other things. And so they're very analytical, very bright, brilliant people. And, and, um, but they're very analytical as well as, you know, they're an analytics company, as you'd expect. And so they found that they had really smart people, really bright people, very trustworthy people. But then the great opportunity for them to create more trust was to extend more trust. And, but because, again, they saw the world through the lens of analytics, it was very easy to start with, we don't trust how you prove that we should. So they took, they went to great steps and they actually created a new value. And this is their founders, uh, Pranay and Srikant, uh, brilliant. Again, the company uh, based in New York City and India's joint headquarters. And here's the premise of it, the, this new value. They said, extend extreme trust. And they made it extreme trust to kind of make the point. They wanted to break through the paradigm of, of you know, you got to be really analytical to the extreme of analytics of, you know, that's who we are. And they're trying to say, let's shift our paradigm and let's extend trust and not just a little trust, let's extend extreme trust to make the point. We've got to become far more trusting, challenge ourselves, push ourselves because we're hiring extraordinary people and we're going to lead out by extending trust to them. And I thought it was really a profound way of approaching this to try to better find that balance. And it is a balancing act. It's good judgment at the end of the day. It's smart trust, but it's got to have both halves, being trustworthy and being trusting. So I'm certainly inspired. And I, and I remain I'm not unconvinced, but I remain a little suspect because I, I want to push on you one step further on this. Uh, the world seems unrecognizable right now, whether it is the vitriol in American politics or the nightmare of death and war in Europe and in, in, in Middle East, whether it's the labor battles in the automotive industry or the entertainment industry between the creators and the laborers and you know, the, the leaders of the organizations. It seems like I've not seen our country inflamed in lower trust in my lifetime. And it seems to me, Stephen, and, and, and I'm probably prejudiced on this, but I've been both an individual contributor and I've been a leader of people. It seems like the conversation is typically that individual contributors, the backbone of companies, people who do the work, they're not silly up in senior leadership, that they feel like leaders don't trust them. It's, it's a common phrase, well, if you just trust us more. Our, 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 our culture is that you don't trust me. And it seems like there are uh, countless examples of how a lot of workers don't earn that trust, whether it be because of the quiet quitting era or the people during the pandemic that took on two full-time jobs 
because they could under the cover of hybrid and virtual work or the fact that perhaps these individual contributors, which are good, uh, I think probably generally trustworthy person, people, they may not have the same level of accountability or responsibility for the values of the company or the growth or the profit or the customer service. By no means do I mean to pit leadership against the working class, if you will, of which I was for most of my career, but doesn't it extend both ways? I guess I want you to reiterate that in order for leadership to trust the workforce, the workforce has to also earn the reputation of being a high trust contributor. Talk about that dissonance that still exists in a lot of companies there. It isn't just that you don't trust me, but that you have to prove that you are also trustworthy. Yeah, no question. I guess, again, Scott, it's a good point. And I, and I, I agree. And I like to always highlight this. Is trust earned or is trust given? The answer really is yes, it's both. But it starts with being earned. We absolutely, we have to earn trust. We have to demonstrate it. We have to demonstrate our character. We have to demonstrate our competence. We have to behave in ways that build trust, that earn trust. And that's true not only of leaders, it's true of individual contributors. They also need to earn trust. And so everything I would say to you as a leader, that leaders go first and that you demonstrate trust, you earn it through your character, through your competence, your credibility, as well as through your behavior, I would say a similar thing for individual contributors. We earn trust. We demonstrate our credibility, we dem our trustworthiness. We demonstrate, our be we behave in ways that earn trust with people. And as we do that, as we earn the trust, we'll get more trust. So yes, that principle applies to everyone at every level. We earn trust, but it's not enough merely to earn it, to be trustworthy. Because think about this, you could have two trustworthy people working together. They both could be trustworthy, and yet there might be no trust between them, even though they're both trustworthy if neither person is willing to extend trust to the other, to give it. And so, yes, in addition to being trustworthy, both leader and individual contributor, both, we also need to be trusting, willing to give that trust to create the trust. And, and that combination of trust being earned, trust being given, is how we will create trust, being trustworthy, being trusting. And that's really at every level. And, and so I believe that needs to happen because I'll tell you what, if it's obvious that if, if, a, if the workforce and if an individual contributor is, is proving untrustworthy and not behaving in ways that build trust, then yes, it's not smart to continue to trust that person time and time again. I agree. But I'll tell you what, someone needs to go first. And it is the job of the leader to go first in a smart way using good judgment. That's why we hired people. And the danger if we don't go first is that distrust tends to create more distrust and people live down to the, the distrust that you show them. When you don't trust them, they tend to kind of live 
down to that distrust. And, and um, maybe it disengages them further so that they do take on another job because they feel so disengaged from this. And maybe they, you know, you perpetuate the very thing that, you, that you're worried about, that you're seeing. And you could find yourself perpetuating a vicious downward cycle of distrust and suspicion, creating more distrust and suspicion, and everybody feeling justified in the process. Distrust is contagious. But thankfully, so is trust. And trust and confidence can create more trust and confidence. And when you tell people, I trust you, and then demonstrate that through your behavior, you build the agreement together with expectations, with accountability around the trust being given, people tend to live up to that trust. They tend to rise to the occasion. They tend to perform better. And if they don't, well, the agreement that you built will manifest that and will say, hey, there's gaps here. We got to live up to this to keep getting this kind of trust. But this, this is a way to counteract the low trust world that we're operating in. And I acknowledge the world all around us is very low trust. And that does affect us. It does affect how we view people and, and, and each other. But as leaders within our organizations, we need to lead out in extending trust to others in the appropriate ways so that they, that they can live up to it. And that can become a virtuous upward spiral, creating the very thing that we would like to see, the trust and the confidence, creating more trust and confidence, and people reciprocating and returning the trust, and people developing new capabilities so that they're more trustworthy, and they grow, and they develop, and they perform better. The research shows about three times better when they're trusted. And so, your point is right. I'm not going to say, no, people don't have to be trustworthy to trust them. I am saying sometimes the very act of extending trust to people is what helps them rise to the trust that you're giving and, be, and become more trustworthy and develop the capabilities and the capacities and the competencies that they need to have and to behave in the ways that build the trust and to reciprocate and return the trust to you. And someone needs to go first. I believe it's the job of the leader to go first. So your point is valid, I'll concede it. And I still think our bigger challenge today is that we're not trusting enough of our own people, of our own teams. And we've got to give more. Let me give you one more story on this to show you again, I'm not just operating in a naive Pollyannish world. So this is, I just was in Metzingen, Germany, a couple months ago. I was with uh, the CEO of Hugo Boss, Daniel Greeter. And Hugo Boss is, you know, the big global fashion retailer. Some 17,000 employees operate all over the world. Um, great brand. Well, Daniel Greeter had come into the organization two years earlier, and he came from the outside. So he was new to everyone there. Um, but here's what he did the first week on the job. He got together with the top 100 leaders of the company or so. And, and he got together with them and he, and he presented um, a choice. He came to them and said, team, we have a choice. And he framed it this way. He said, we could spend the next year 
getting to know each other. You getting to know me, me getting to know you. You deciding whether you can trust me and me deciding whether I can trust you. We can do that and we'll spend the next year. And you know what? We'll waste a year. Or we can decide from day one that as part of who we hired at Hugo Boss, that we hire winners, that we trust each other. Well, that, let me tell you where I land on this. I want each of you to know something. I trust you. I'm asking you, trust me back. Together, we can create a new culture based upon trust, and we can do it fast. Now look, Scott, this is, this was not the culture. <laughs> this is Germany. People tend to lead more with suspicion. This was quite countercultural. People were taken aback by this. I talked to several of them. They said, yeah, we were kind of almost shocked, surprised. But to a person, they said, but I felt inspired by it. I wanted to live up to it. I wanted to prove that was justified. And I responded to it, and I reciprocated and returned with trust. And they began to move and move fast. Well, they created a five-year plan. They had all the metrics of, of growth, of revenue, of market share, of profit, of brand awareness, and the like. So a five-year plan. Well, they're two years into the plan now, and they are achieving at level four metrics on the plan. Two years into it. They're two years ahead of schedule. And get Daniel Greeter's words, we are operating at the speed of trust. Well, someone needed to go first. Daniel went first. And, he was, and, and people responded to it. And he's unleashed the greatness of their team, their organization. So was that smart? I argue yes. Because he, his premise was we have winners here. And look, if someone didn't prove worthy of that trust, at some point they would address that and either help the person improve or move into another role or move them out of the company. So you have to earn it too. You do have to earn it, but you also have to give it. Both are vital to be trustworthy, to be trusting. I think the greater gap as leaders is we need to become more trusting. Stephen, let's end on this topic. Uh, let's look inward. Uh, previously, you've talked a lot about the concept of character and competence. What I would like to do is get more granular than that. As we end this conversation, as people look inward about, am I trustworthy? What questions should we be asking ourselves to recognize that everybody is circumstance, their role, their titles, their jobs, their industries are all different. Generally speaking, what questions should we be asking ourselves to help boost our own trustworthiness? Yeah, great question. I think we really do look in the mirror because my basic premise is that trust is built from the inside out through our credibility and our behavior. But in, the idea of inside out is that we start with ourselves. And rather than looking out the window and saying as soon as he changes or she changes or they change, as soon as the boss changes, as soon as the company changes, then we can build the trust. That's outside in. Inside out is looking in the mirror and saying, what 
do I need to do to increase trust with others? Is it smart to trust me? If I talk about the idea of smart trust, using good judgment, for those that interact with me, have a relationship with me, is it smart for them to trust me because of who I am, because of my character, my competence? So I focus on that character side, and I'm looking at the integrity, and I'm asking, do I demonstrate this integrity? Do I do, I do the right thing, even when there's a cost or a consequence? You see, it's relatively easy to have integrity when there's no cost or consequence. It's easy for me to do the right thing when it doesn't cost me anything. What about when it does cost me something? Am I still willing to do the right thing even when there's a cost or a consequence? That's the test of integrity. Am I demonstrating both humility and courage? Sometimes people demonstrate one and not the other. The combination of both humility and courage is a greater manifestation of real character. So I'm asking that type of question. Then on the intent side, I'm really looking at, um, do I care about the people that I'm leading, that I'm serving? Do I genuinely care? So it's not just I say that I care. Do I care? It's a good test. And then do the people, do they know that I care? Do they feel that I care? It's one thing for me to say I care. It's a whole other thing for the people to say, I feel that my leader cares about me. I feel that. I know they care. So I'm really kind of trying to ask those questions. How do I show up to them? So I ask myself, do I care? And do they feel that I care? Do they know it? So those are the types of questions I ask about character integrity, intent. I do a similar thing about my competence. You know, on capabilities, I ask, am I relevant? Am I current? Am I learning? Am I improving? Am I getting better? You know, am I becoming, am I staying relevant in a changing world? It's like the idea that someone says, hey, I got 15 years of experience. Good. But the question is, do you have 15 years of experience, or do you have one year that you've repeated 15 times? In other words, are you, are you learning, improving, getting better, staying relevant? Because that will keep you credible, and that will keep you trusted. And then, do my results inspire confidence? In other words, does my track record of performance, getting the job done, delivering results, does that inspire confidence in others such that they look at me and they say, look at Stephen, look at Scott, look at Julie, or Robin, whoever it might be, are they, you know, are they performing, delivering in a way that I can say, this person comes through, they deliver. They have a track record of results that gives me confidence. So I'm kind of trying to ask that question, am I there yet? We're all on the journey of increasing our credibility. None of us ever arrive. I haven't arrived. We're all on the journey to get there. But this is kind of the, the four cores of credibility give you that framework to look at. Then I could do the same thing with the 13 behaviors of high trust leaders and almost go through those one by one and try to identify, are there a couple of these behaviors, be it listening first or keeping commitments or, or clarifying expectations or practicing accountability or creating transparency or demonstrating respect where I need to demonstrate and show 
I need to behave my way into greater trust because I might be sometimes manifesting counterfeit behaviors that kind of look the part but aren't the real deal. So those are the tests I ask myself. And, and, and how am I showing up? And really, I'm, I'm trying to assess how do I show up with the authentic behavior, not with a counterfeit version of it. So those are the kind of tests. And thankfully, we have tools to help you do that too, like a, a TQ, a test, trust quotient, where you can get a 360 feedback. Part of this new, uh, updated, reimagined Leading at the Speed of Trust course has a whole thing on building a high trust team with a team trust assessment built right into it where people can see how is a team we're doing on the on credibility and behavior. The four cores of credibility, the 13 behaviors. And you can kind of assess how we're doing and maybe which three behaviors we ought to focus on as a team and get better at it. So we can work on this from the inside out. But we can start with each of us as a leader. So those are the questions to be authentic about it, vulnerable about it, and real, take it head on. That's the opportunity for us. And, and, uh, and if we approach it this way, I'm, I'm confident that we can be a catalyst to help bring about high trust cultures. It may start by just building a high trust team, the team that we lead or that we're a part of, even if we're operating in a low trust company, we could have a high trust team that is saying there's a better way to do this or you get results in a way that also builds a culture of trust. And if you can do it here, then maybe others can do it there and we can help become a catalyst to bring about this throughout the entire organization. So I'm not downplaying how hard it is, but I am trying to highlight, we don't have to wait on anybody else. Leaders go first in building that trust, starting with ourselves as leaders. Stephen M. R. Covey, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, best-selling author of the books, The Speed of Trust and Trust and Inspire. You've been a great inspiration, not just carrying forward your father's legacy inside of our company worldwide, but establishing your own as a very trusted friend of the firm. Thank you for coming on to our 309th episode, as you did on the first episode and a couple in between. And I'm guessing that means you'll be back in the number 400 somewhere as well. Uh, I'm sure the podcast will be here with some great host hosting it in the future. We'll see what that looks like. Thank you, sir. It's great um, having you back today. Thanks, Scott. Always great to be with you. And thanks to all our, our listeners and viewers. Really delighted and grateful for this chance to talk about what I believe is the one thing that changes everything, trust. And we'll see you back here next week for a new conversation on leadership. Mm -hmm.